0: Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and we are returning from a bit of a hiatus. I apologize to all of the hardcore fans out there that have been uh, chomping at the bit for the next episode, but thankfully, I can tell you, I have a really great episode to come back with. Uh, My guest today is my good friend Endegua McLeod, who's been on the podcast quite a few times, and uh, we talked about what is quite possibly my favorite movie of all time. Um, I'll get into the semantics of this a little bit. Obviously, I said the same thing about Jaws, but uh, I'd say it's almost an even tie with this movie. It is John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. If you haven't seen the movie, obviously, uh, go see it. Um I just I don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh please see the thing. Uh and then come back and and listen to this because we're gonna completely spoil it. And I really think uh the thing is better than this podcast. This podcast can wait. Go see the movie. Uh it's a brilliant masterpiece. And listen to me and my friend Ndegwa break down Uh, our thoughts and our feelings and our uh, personal affection for John Carpenter in this brand new episode of We Are Movies. For a second, I forgot whose podcast this was. It took me... (laughs) Oh, and, and, well i mean i forgot i forgot if this was mine or yours for a second i was like yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> i have my formatted notes with this movie so i was yeah. like wait a second <laughs> oh,
0: um, man. this is mine this is mine uh as yeah. i know we did not begin with the script <laughs> as, yeah. as yours does uh i always just i always just fade in as we're talking uh and it sounds like this is just a chunk of a five-hour conversation that i was having and uh, we casually brought up the thing in the process it's so
1: funny we just talked about it for a couple hours
0: it's funny too because (laughs) your um
1: your transition music would fit like perfectly with this movie
0: yeah well do do you want to know something the transition music do you know the story behind that music no no i I was wondering if i could uh uh, let me see if i was if i okay so the music that i use at the beginning of the podcast is uh i composed it in my freshman year of college uh for a short film i made called the insomniac and a hundred percent i was just ripping off john carpenter like <laughs> I, you know i because I, I think i was inspired by the fact like because john carpenter scores most of his own movies and I, he famously like doesn't know how to write a note and so i was like then i could do it and so that's what i came up with and so when i first started this podcast i didn't have any music for it and i was just like it's the only thing that i have so i'll use it and it's just what are we two years later now it's it's still it's still the music so that's so cool
1: yeah i didn't i didn't know you created yourself but yeah i was like this has to be inspired by like carpenter right because every time i hear it i just think (laughs) john carpenter okay this makes all the sense in the world
0: and funnily enough, besides, uh, I did one mini-sode last summer uh, where I talked about uh, assault on precinct thirteen. But this is the first like full length episode I've ever done on a John Carpenter film. Your favorite so. director, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. No. Good. Good points for you. <laughs> <laughs> you the number one. Yeah. 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 I would. I would say John Carpenter is my favorite director. It's. I don't know how long I've been thinking that um I think it took me a while to embrace it to say that I don't need to lie and say somebody like Fellini is my favorite director I can go like no, you know what if it's John Carpenter then that's who it is and I can tell people (laughs) yeah (laughs) when did you uh so like how long have you been a fan of his movies like did you
1: watch some as a kid and more as you grew up or was it like a lot as you grew
0: up you watched a lot of them or i i definitely i mean i i watched quite a few of them as a kid like i remember watching halloween when i was pretty young and although i remember when i first saw the thing and i was in high school and i think this was the moment that i actually decided oh yeah i think he's my favorite director and uh started the process of keeping that to myself (laughs) for a while (laughs) uh so what, what was your first experience with john carpenter it was probably the same. It was
1: probably... Because I actually grew up on Halloween, um, this, and Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, wow. I mean, I've watched... I haven't watched Big Trouble in a while, though, but I watched that all the time as a kid. So, um, yeah, I was at least a big fan of those. And um, because of this podcast, I thought... I was like, you know, I should probably watch more John Carp- Carpenter movies. I thought I watched more. I just forgot about, but I've, I only had seen before... Like for like, before like a week and a half, two weeks ago, like, um, print, uh, The Fog, and Escape from New York. I think, I think you watched. I so I watched that for this, but um, uh, before before I knew we were gonna do the thing, those were the only four I believe Carpenter movies I watched. Oh, okay. And uh, before I should say maybe last year because last year is when I saw, um, They Live. Because everyone talked about it, and it was one of your favorites. And I thought, you know, I, I should probably see this. And I, because I think for me, Carpenter's always been like just like Halloween, the thing. And then I also had seen The Fog a couple times and uh, Big Trouble a bunch. So like, I was interested to see what his other movies were like. Um, and I wondered for you, like, why do you think he's your like? If you're like, why this is why John Carpenter is my favorite director, in kind of like a in a nutshell.
0: Um, oh gosh. I mean, so first of all, I think there's a lot of variety in his filmography. I mean, those three movies you just named Halloween, the thing and big trouble in little China are like wildly different from each other. I, and I was going to say, I think the fact that you grew up with big trouble, that's great. Cause I think that's the one John Carpenter movie that feels like it would be good for kids. He always resonated with me cause like he is unabashedly pulpy like he does milk you know the big moments even the corny moments the sort of over the top like pure terror of his movies but he's also very he's very classy too and in certain instances he has a lot of gravitas he really knows how to use tension um I think he has sort of a bleak sense of humor as well that comes across in a lot of his movies. And um, and I think he's kind of the perfect example of a guy who loves film and reincorporates that into the movies that he makes, but in sort of unexpected ways. In a way, I think he the, the way that he sort of regurgitates what he grew up watching is similar to what Tarantino does, although not quite as... Direct, where Tarantino just straight up uses music from old movies and stuff like that but I mean Carpenter like you know grew up watching one of the big things is he loves westerns and a lot in a lot of his movies you can see him like using his western influence but he's never made a western but he kind of he picks like the visual language that he learned from movies like that which I'll I'll get into more when we talk about the thing but yeah I guess that was really, that was a very rambling. And I know you said a nutshell and none of that would fit in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> I'll take it anyway. I'm, I'm always curious. It was more what, like peanut butter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chunky peanut butter.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I was, I'm always curious when, uh what people's, um, especially you, cause like you have, especially when you're like someone who has uh, an extensive film knowledge, like I do. And I always wondered like, what makes someone your favorite and, like how many of their movies that you love, um, as well. Just because I assume you would have to love a majority, if not every single one of theirs, almost yeah. for them to be your favorite. Unless like a few, not this instance for you, but like unless like a few movies, I guess, were so good where it's like yeah. I don't even care about these like eighty percent bad. These tw- this twenty percent <laughs> is so fucking good.
0: <laughs> well, uh, so let me say this, and I think maybe this is how I put it. I like I. I'm, you know, I'm a film person. I love all kinds of movies. I'm fairly educated in the canon of what's considered great and stuff like that. And at the same time, I have a very deep love for uh, B-movie pulp and exploitation. And I think John Carpenter is the perfect middle ground where he employs a lot of the tactics that make a great quote unquote B-movie. But is too good to be considered a B movie director. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's just a little too refined and a little too well-trained. Um, so, I mean, we, we will get into the thing, but since you rewatched a couple movies in preparation for this, I mean, what are your takeaways from him as a filmmaker? What do you think, why do you think he's considered one of the greats? Uh, why do you, and I guess furthermore than that, like what are th- maybe things you've noticed across his movies that you think Kind of make them that show that they're, you know, all by the same auteur, kind of.
1: kind of similar things to what you said. Like, i like, he has that B movie aesthetic, but like, he's not too prestige, but like, they're, they're yeah, they are like too good to be considered. It's like he obviously is a fan of um, those types of movies. And yeah, when you said that, like, cause yeah, I especially looking at your letterbox, I know, and I know that you're like a big uh, fan of like exploitation b-movies type thing so that that really makes sense like the attraction i think to um carpenter for you too I, i've noticed because now actually i just before we recorded finished dark star um oh wow <laughs> yeah that that was that was weird and i think when i when i looked at the ones i i've watched now so i watched uh, recently like that um song precinct 13 escape from new york in the mouth of madness um they live last year i've noticed besides like the ones i already had seen he definitely likes to go pretty strange and off the beaten path and i think that is an attraction to like his movies because obviously i think his know his tops I feel like if you depending on which list usually the thing or Halloween is always number one um probably followed by they live or escape from New York and it kind of depends after that I've looked at a lot of different lists including your own on Letterboxd to see like what do people think are Carpenters or at least their favorites if not like the best Carpenter and I think when I think of him now especially a little bit more than I did before I think of him as someone who Definitely um does his own thing. Obviously, I love that he does like most of the time his own music, and I love that his films all have some kind of uh overt message or theme hmm. about society
0: or unity, what have you. I mean, like they live. I mean, it's oh. like I always painted. tell people, man, they live like obviously one of the most overt uh, Reagan criticisms you'd see in the eighties and literally came out in election season. Like,
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) It it came out,
0: I think two weeks before a presidential election. Like I, I I feel like that's, and then obviously if you watch an interview with Carpenter, you know, he'll go on and on about Reaganomics. He's like smoking two cigarettes at the same time. It's like (laughs) Ronald Reagan, you know, so but yeah, there's certainly and obviously, I think they live as like the least subtle version of him <laughs> putting messages in a movie. But yeah, yeah, it's in a lot of it. It's obviously in Escape from New York, uh, to an extent. And uh, there's some, even like Assault on Precinct 13, there's little elements of like race in there. Yeah. It's not explicit, but there's a couple moments like about they're kind of acknowledging sort of the alienation of the main guy being the only seemingly the only black cop in the city
1: yeah you know? it's just
0: like oh yeah you're just gonna be there and you know just tell hey, you just
1: do, do this thing it's fine all right yeah. i'm gonna
0: out of here uh
1: <laughs> and yeah and yeah I, I also i thought was oh god there's there's a black guy he's the lead of a movie i just didn't in the 70s and he's like a police officer i was like whoa just, just took me back and uh i won't reveal what happens to his character or not but i was like oh okay interesting interesting um Yeah, and I think, like, even if you look at the posters for Carpenter's movies, like, they all are just, like, they're almost like a comic book. Like, there's, Mm. like, the splash pages. They're all weird. I mean, the names of them. Prince of Darkness, Village of the Damned, Ghost of Mars. I I mean, Halloween, The Thing, They Live. Like, they they do have that aesthetic and, like, even the title. And I think I, because I've noticed maybe the stranger carpenter gets it's not always for me Mm. but um because i haven't seen all of them um i think i've seen nine or ten um but i think when he's less strange i do like him more because i would say like halloween the thing obviously gets weird with the creatures but it's like about like the character too and everything and We'll talk about that more. But, and I think that like escape from New York, which was pretty fun. And uh, Big Trouble is fucking weird shit, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, I guess that's not liar. And the fog is weird, too. You know, fucking ghost.
0: Pirates. Yeah. I mean, I suppose something like Big Trouble is weird in a way that's different from the way that, like, In the Mouth of Madness is weird, you know? Yeah, that's in, like a mystic weird. Yeah, and that also, it's like psychological. You don't know what's real and what's not. And that, I mean, that feels maybe like the closest he's come to, like, David Lynch or something like that, where yeah. it, it's, it almost sacrifices the traditional narrative that it's at the core of the movie, where most of his movies, as weird as they get, there is a simple sort of, uh, there is a simple story being told that you can kind of track and, and you know them there's still character motivations it doesn't completely uh devolve into the abstract <laughs> um and and i mean and i think a lot of that comes from the fact that he is like he shows a lot of traditional uh almost like old-fashioned sensibilities in a lot of his movies um and he also, like one thing is, I think he's even said this himself. Nearly all of his movies have the basic, at the basic core of their story, it's about like a siege of sorts. It's about somebody trying to hold off the evil, trying to come in from the outside. And so, you know, and that's that can kind of be interpreted in many ways. In one case, like Assault on Precinct, it's 13, it's literally people trying to hold off criminals from getting inside. And then, you know, in the case of something like, I, uh, they live. It's just an alien invasion. So the inside is just Earth. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Did you ever? Did you end up seeing Prince of Darkness?
1: I didn't. I I saw a little about it because I, since I didn't get a chance to see it, and I was like, oh, that is that is weird too. Okay. That is interesting. I kind of want, I really want to see it now. Oh. It sounds strange as hell.
0: Yeah. Legitimately maybe the only, cause as much as I love a lot of these movies, I, I'm not like scared that much by them. I think mm-hmm. Prince of darkness is the only one that actually kind of frightened me a little bit. Um, that one has some imagery in it that just really sticks with you. And uh, also it's sort of like, I would almost describe it as like assault on precinct 13, but with a supernatural, element that's like this mix of science and religion okay. uh, yeah very interesting also a, a great lead donald pleasance performance donald pleasance who was in sort of the company of carpenter actors because he's in that and halloween and escape from new york yeah. um speaking of which to me in the pantheon of great director actor combos you know you got you got your john ford and your john wayne you got your alfred hitchcock and your jimmy stewart uh and then for me personally uh john carpenter kurt russell is just like one of the greatest combinations of actor and director uh they did four what five five movies together uh over their career they did the thing big trouble in little china escape from new york escape from la and uh elvis and so elvis uh, okay i was like what is the fifth okay it's a less carp. it's not quite a carpenter carpenter movie but he did direct it (laughs) okay (laughs) uh yeah it doesn't quite fit in with the others it's an elvis biopic starring kurt russell uh (laughs) but but yeah no i just think it's like when you get these guys that work really well together they kind of have their own shorthand and and i think for a guy like John Carpenter, who's more obsessed with kind of the technical aspect of these movies. It works really well when he has a lead actor who he obviously works well enough with that he probably doesn't need to spend too much time crafting Kurt Russell's performance. Kurt Russell tends to just kind of know what the deal is and what he's in. Um, I, I always I point out how like, uh, you know, like in Escape from New York, Kurt Russell's basically doing a Clint Eastwood impression. And he described that as saying like when i knew he's like i knew when when john cart when john cast lee van cleef in the movie i got what he was doing so i was like all right if he's like lee van cleef then i'm clint eastwood and then in big trouble you know he's doing a john wayne impression basically but john wayne is like a big like a dumber broader version of that uh, caricature and so it is this kind of like he just kind of reads the room and goes all right this is what i'm supposed to do and carpenter's like yeah you got it It's crazy, too, how, like, many
1: films he made in such a short period of time. Like, it's insane, like, that he had, um, like, back-to-back-to-back, like, starting in the 80s, or 1980,
0: he... From the 70s to the 80s, he had a string of really Oh, yeah, because
1: Elvis, didn't that come out, like, 79, I think?
0: Yeah. So, literally,
1: from 78 to, I think, like, 84, or he kept he had not stopped like every I think it was because of the, yeah seventy eight was Halloween and seventy nine would been Elvis then so eighty was the fog eighty one was Escape from New York eighty two was the thing eighty three was Christine
0: uh eighty four was Starman and then obviously
1: yep. just a two year break gap he took forward. he took a
0: what one, one year break and oh well, yeah I guess a two year break because in eighty five he didn't make anything. And then yeah. 86, big trouble in Little China.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's crazy.
0: And then 87, Prince of
1: Darkness, 88, they live. And then three years later or four years later, I'm like, that's four, that's four insane. years later,
0: four years later, he does memoirs of an invisible man because that movie <laughs> took that movie required four years of preparation. <laughs> the big the big Chevy Chase vehicle, you know.
1: Yeah. It's 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 I'm always impressed when someone is able to, especially just how different all these films are, is able to make a bunch of films and back to back, like, that's not, that's not hard. Like I remember, like, I think uh little side change, looking get right back. It, it reminds me of how um, in the 2010s, like I would, I forgot who is the, the argument I thought was who won the decade as the director. But for me it was Denis Villeneuve because um, besides incendies, which he means 2010 from like 2013 to 2017, um he made enemy prisoners yeah. sicario blade runner 2049 and i believe one more i'm forgetting which is just crazy insane. i mean that's insane those are great movies all of them i mean just arrival so- did you mention arrival arrival that, that's there the it is yeah yep there's an arrival like all different so good i mean <laughs> like who's doing what he's doing right now and I think Carpenter, honestly, like you could argue like he maybe did win the 80s. I mean, he look at look at all these films and he's still thought of as this great director. Um, and people still talk about these films
0: today. So and one has to say, like, incredibly ambitious that pretty early in his career, I think Halloween might have been the first case of it to put John Carpenter's before the title yeah. like to, to to claim ownership over this movie slap your name on top of that title before he's even a well-known director I, I honestly I think part of that that branding is part of what gets you the job because then everybody when they watch the thing it says John Carpenter's the thing and they they remember that it's his you know <laughs> yeah I, I think he I saw that he said that
1: some of his favorite directors from the past had done that like it would be like Howard Hawks this movie um mm-hmm or Alfred Alfred Hitchcock's this movie, and he thought, Well, I mean, if they're doing it, why why not me? You know, (laughs) I want them to know it was me, which is hey,
0: I mean, I like it. Um, yeah, that's that's a believer in auteur theory if you've ever seen one, yeah, sure.
1: I had a question, uh, about a review that would get us into the thing,
0: yeah. So, famously, this movie was panned when it came out, this, yeah, yeah. This, not, a, and, not a hit financially or critically. It's so sad. Like this,
1: this movie. And I guess before I get into that, I guess this this is like the this is like the preamble to the question or of mm-hmm. the review. So the thing comes out in um, June of eighty two on the twenty fifth of June. The same <laughs> weekend as we talked about before, as uh, that we recorded. Uh, I think uh, Blade Runner, which yes. is insane but not only did it fail because of that it like um on the crit or the financial standpoint another alien movie came out two weeks before mm-hmm. et <laughs> the extraterrestrial the nice movie where <laughs> for families where the alien gets to go home spoilers for et i guess and uh which i already spoiled so sorry too late w- but like this movie came out at the exact same time so people it looks like didn't want to see this ambiguous ending where it's like did is one of them the alien or like will they both like are they gonna die is it gonna get away we don't know and it just it was cold and dark and weird and that was light and happy and for families and but like that was just incredible summer like a week before et wrath of khan came out a week before that poltergeist came out a few weeks before that rocky three came out i mean is just, just like an insane period in time to be alive and like you said critically it didn't do amazing and one person the king of all the critics (laughs) gave a review and i want i want your thoughts on this because i was like wow
0: you you roger ebert were not (laughs) roger um, roger beyond the valley of the dolls ebert yeah yeah, the man himself Uh, so
1: Roger Ebert, uh, famously, he gives uh, four stars in his review. So he gave this two and a half, mm. which I guess could have been worse, but still. Um, <laughs> the Thing is a great barf bag movie. All right. <laughs> but is it any good? <laughs> wow. What a title. I mean, what a, what a start. So he said, I found it disappointing for two reasons the superficial characterizations and the implausible behavior of the scientists on an icy outpost. Characters have never been Car- Carpenter's strong point. He says he likes mo- his movies to create emotions in his audiences. And I guess he'd rather see us jump six inches than get involved in the personalities of his characters. The thing is basically then just a geek show, a gross out movie in which teenagers can dare one another to watch the screen. There's nothing wrong with that. I like being scared, and I was scared by many scenes in The Thing. But it seems clear that Carpenter made his choice early on to concentrate on the special effects and the technology and to allow the story and people to become secondary. Because this material has been done before, and better, especially in the original Thing and in Alien. There's no need to see this version unless you're interested in what The Thing might look like while starting from anonymous... Um, greasy organs extruding giant crab legs and transmuting itself into a dog amazingly i'll bet that thousands if not millions of movie govers are interested in seeing that he was wrong at the time but right in the
0: future but yeah <laughs> so wh- what do you think of that <laughs> um you know roger ebert god rest his soul really he really missed sometimes and i think in this case i mean it in some ways I think he's a little self-aware and in some ways I think he's just completely wrong. Um, I mean, for one thing, he's like trying to, you know, the thesis here is that he's saying Carpenter can't evoke emotions out of you, but then he also concedes that he was scared by the movie, which is like being scared is an emotion. I mean, that's, that's an emotional reaction. Like whatever you, (laughs) and then also, I I don't know the way that he says the characters are superficial. I, I always think about how like, it would bother me. I was thinking actually this today, rewatching the movie that I enjoy that the characters don't have an unnecessary amount of backstory or things to their relationship to, to complicate or distract from the situation at hand. There's something about the movie. That's very, everything is about this situation. Everything else in our lives don't really matter right now. But that being said, I think every character is very distinct. I think in a very short amount of time, this movie efficiently uh sort of defines who these guys are in relation to each other it particularly in how they react to what's happening um and obviously in the performances which are all great so like i, I wouldn't agree with his point there and then just to say it's a geek show like you know yeah it's gross for sure uh, that is part of what i like about it i'm not gonna lie like i you know i There's that kind of like I'm looking through my fingers just like oh it's so gross I can't stop watching it but I think there's a difference between gore for the sake of it and then like I mean like legit to not admire like the legitimate the craftsmanship of every single shot of the uh, the pyrotechnics in this movie. And then also the craftsmanship that actually really does go into the tension because I think the movie builds an incredible amount of tension and is actually kind of a slow burn in comparison to other movies of this type, maybe not compared to alien but other movies you know like this I yeah, I think it's one of the cases where he totally missed the mark. Also, when he compared it to Howard Hawks' thing from Another World, uh, I'm sorry, Roger, but you're wrong. <laughs> I, this movie's eons better. I, I respect, you know, I like that movie fine enough, but that came from like an era where every, every like that '50s sci-fi era where they were all kind of the same, and and uh, and you know, Howard Hawks is one of the greats, but like, yeah, no, it's like, gosh, how could you? How could you even? begin to say that that movie's better <laughs> than carpenter's version it's so <laughs> funny
1: i think my grandfather actually likes it more but then again he is older so i was like maybe that's a thing like i watched that when i was a kid but yeah i was like i'm sorry there there's no contest here <laughs> this is and i saw that like as a kid too but i'm like there this is it's also it's funny because this isn't a remake of that technically this is a remake right. of the original um novel from uh, John Campbell from 38 uh, who goes there so yeah. like I get what he means but like because that's like a robot and there's like it's like it's different it's not the same thing and yeah I, I agree with everything you said I mean I don't think like even at yeah as the begin at, in the beginning you get how their characters react but even through the movie and the decisions and the choices when they're all scared and uncertain and, and they can't trust each other that's when you know action happens and their actions define who they are. And we get that because that's the entire movie. It's just reaction, uh, it's just like cause and effects, just like action reactions. So that's literally the movie. So it's it's weird that um the character is the thing that he thinks right. is second. I mean, I think. <laughs> It's, if anything, I think you could argue that both the creature uh, and the characters reacting to it, which is everyone, are equal footing in the movie. I mean, one is a lot of people. And it's not about who they are, like, yeah, let me just sit down for five minutes and talk about my uh it's like this is like a, not like a war movie. It's like well, let me just talk about that. My girl, I'm gonna get back down to uh you know Tennessee when we get out of here and kill that <laughs> alien thing. Yeah, it's like sitting that's around not on fire, like who you got waiting for you back at home. You know, there's yeah. always that
0: thing. Here's <laughs> oh, a picture yeah, of my, my kid, be- you
1: know. <laughs> yeah, Billy. <laughs> so I know I'm gonna survive. <laughs> yeah.
0: We were gonna open a tackle shop together when we get back back me and billy <laughs> once he exactly. gets over that polio you know oh I mean.
1: no <laughs> yeah. yeah like i i think this movie like you said this is one of my favorite movies of all time i I'm, i think because this is your second favorite movie of all time
0: um so i I don't really, it's really hard for me to have a number one. When I did the Jaws right. episode with uh, James Couture, I said that Jaws might be the fa- might be my favorite movie of all time. And the only reason I said might is because The Thing also might be my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's almost yeah. tied, basically. Then I will
1: say, because it's not my favorite, but I I still have to do my top 10. I still, mm. it's, I'm pretty sure it's in the 10s somewhere. So I'm just going to say that you probably like this more than I do. But I will say uh, that it's funny. I thought I was the one of my friends who liked this the most. And then I met you and I'm like, <laughs> ah, well, Hey, you know, I've been beaten. <laughs> um, But I think that this movie is one of the best uses of tension and one of the best films where it sows mistrust because it just mm. makes sense. And And like you mentioned uh, earlier, like, you know, Donald Sutherland being, but like, I also grew up on uh, that version of Invasion of Body Snatchers. So just like another movie where someone, which is also a remake, but uh, another movie where a creature is taking over your body and seemingly becoming you. And I
0: think like that too, invading, invading yourself is something that's like, Oh God. That's another, it's really interesting. Like the three big remakes that people consider to be like the improvements of over the originals are all uh basically gory disgusting 80s remakes of 50s uh science fiction movies so the thing invasion of the body snatchers and cronenberg's the fly are all kind yeah. of yeah
1: oh fuck like i love the fly too yeah yeah, yeah. the
0: fly is just. Gust. <laughs> yeah no it. absolutely yeah it's totally <laughs> gross and one of the things is like because you know obviously I don't want to make it clear I'm not just like writing off Howard Hawks film uh John Carpenter himself I think considers Howard Hawks to be his favorite filmmaker and he's um you know he I, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 is heavily inspired by Rio Bravo um and in fact if you get the blu-ray for real bravo carpenter has a commentary on the movie like that's yeah it's like one of his one of his favorite movies and obviously he loves the thing it shows up on a tv in halloween uh before he ever made this movie the thing from another world is uh jamie lee curtis is watching it with tommy doyle uh and so um he obviously has a lot of reverence for that movie. And then smartly enough, as you mentioned, he goes back to the roots by adapting the story, like the original story that it was based on who goes there. And it's a totally different film. Like it's about, I mean, that original movie is completely about like, um, uh, it it doesn't really have that whole element of, um, uh, of imitation. And uh, we, we don't know who to trust. And, it's more of just kind of a it's it's a standard monster movie and what that element of this story I mean yes I can say I like it more because I like all the practical effects and the gore and whatever but that element makes this movie more of like an Agatha Christie type of sort of mystery film Mm. just as much as it is a monster movie because there's always a feeling of distrust it's you know every scene is filled with the tension of we don't know which one of us is human and which one isn't and even when the action isn't happening uh, that's still that's the undercurrent throughout the entire story yeah i mean like guess what i I really like this movie in case people (laughs) didn't know (laughs) i'm a big fan that's an issue with some movies i
1: think they like waste time i mean sometimes building obviously building tension takes time and i'll admit you and we just did alien on my podcast and i'll admit yeah I, and i still give it five stars I so still love it. one of my favorite movies ever it is a bit slow Mm. in the first 30 minutes i will admit that I, especially this last time i was like it's it's a bit slow at parts maybe it's just cut it down a bit like it's already perfect but you just like chisel that beautiful <laughs> greek god down just a little bit like five minutes i think i'll be that'll be even just better but i don't think there's an issue here with that at all so like in ebert's review i think and if this movie say was longer maybe two hours um mm. even i don't know that I could see if someone's like if it's shaved like a little bit more, it could be fine. But I think this movie is one of the best paced movies I've ever seen from I mean, from the opening when you get like just you're in space and you see the earth and then just like the alien ship in the corner, which I didn't notice for years happens. I don't know how I never noticed that happened until like a few years ago when I watched it again. I was like, what
0: can I say something? And actually, this is going to catch people off guard. Maybe this is my one criticism of the thing. Uh, the movie that could possibly my favorite be my favorite movie of all time. I don't know if I totally like the very first shot being the alien ship hitting Earth. I think the movie works better. I, I think about it like if the story was just going as it went and our first inst- instinct, like the first moment that anything supernatural or, you know, out of the ordinary happens is... What ha- when the dog first transforms probably a good 15 or so minutes into the movie or maybe even more um instead by doing the very first shot with the flying saucer kind of does kind of go like oh okay there's gonna be an alien in this movie um i can understand people feeling two different ways about it Jay bauman and red letter media i don't remember if he'd said this in the thing video or in the predator video but this and predator both had the exact same first shot with uh the saucer hitting earth before the credits even happen and both times i kind of think i don't know we don't need them <laughs> but that's the only one I, I think other than that the whole setup when we're introduced to you know this alaskan outpost and kurt russell's playing chess wizard uh against a uh, a, com- a computer program voiced by adrian barbeau who was uh john carpenter's wife at the time uh and then when he goes like beats him and he's like cheating bitch and pours his uh jb j&b whiskey into it and it breaks and then right after that we get the norwegians landing there we got the dog and everything's just you know it's off to the races after that so Yeah. yeah very well paced i think too
1: i i you know now you say that i was gonna that that makes sense and i i agree i i wish it i didn't know it was there and now that i do know it's there it is i don't like it i do think if you just had the thing burned like i love how the title just is like burned into the screen yeah like rips and goes yeah it's it's so beautiful but yeah it's you don't need it because i mean i even noticed it and it didn't affect me this whole time i thought i think just having like just like the norwegians flying and then eventually you see this dog and it's like what's what's happening and then and then you hear like and then, like, he pulls out a gun. It's like, whoa, why are they trying to shoot this dog? What? And But if you having that in there, the little alien ship, it's like, oh, is it, like, an alien? Is that – but, yeah, just having – just because then you're on the same level playing field as the Americans. Um, mm. We're all the same. We're like, I don't know why they're shooting at us or this dog or what's going on, but obviously – and I think it even works better because you have the shot when the Norwegian lands – um, sh- and then it like it's shooting at the dog. Um, mm-hmm. but, and they're like, Oh no, they're shooting at us now. Cause I got shot in the leg. but like it walks past them going after the dog. So I think once again, it reiterates like something's weird. I think with the dog, but not overtly saying it probably or hinting at it because of the ship because mm-hmm. you have that shot, which I love. It's like, cause I would be like, Oh, it's coming after. Wait, he's not even, He's
0: not even shooting at us now. What the? F- yeah. He's going after the dog. What the hell's going on here? It's it's a great. It's so confusing. You, it, the movie starts off with the two Norwegians in a helicopter shooting at this poor defenseless dog, and you're like, "What the hell's the matter with you guys?" <laughs> and then they land on the base where these you know these our main characters are at, and uh, in a comical series of events, get themselves killed. Uh, one guy accidentally blows himself up with a one of the Norwegians gets himself blows himself up with a grenade ah. on accident. Yeah. <laughs> And then the other guy, the other guy who ends up wounding one of the guys, um, uh, Bennings, and yeah. then like it was running through the compound, shooting at the dog, uh, Gary, sort of the guy in charge, shoots him between the eyes and. Uh, and, and so we're just kind of left to go and like, what? What was this all about? Uh, one thing is, if you know Norwegian, they do pretty much explain the plot of the movie because the guy is yelling at him in Norwegian, and so he does. He is saying like, "Hey, it's like it's an imitation. It's not a real dog." Blah blah blah. And then obviously we find that out later when the dog. Um, and by by the way, I have to say, uh, until this year when I saw uh, Sam Fuller's movie White Dog. I would have told you this is the single greatest dog performance in any movie ever.
1: Like, well, I haven't seen White Dog, and I thought this was going to be an uh, easily agreed upon thing. Now
0: I'm like, whoa, there's competition <laughs> for better dog acting. I have to see White Dog now. It's at least it's at least in competition. This might okay. still be the best, but that one certainly, yeah, challenges the thing for for the crown. <laughs> Take my throne. <laughs> yeah. Take my crown if you dare. That gosh, that scene when the dog is like. There's a couple moments for the dog performances, especially great. Like uh, the part when a is, he's got roller blades on and he's going around the kitchen or something and he's playing Stevie Wonder. Uh, huh. And... Then we kind of hear the song, kind of echoing throughout the compound, and you have the dog kind of just sauntering down the hallway, and it's like it looks like the gears are turning in the dog's brain. Like you can see the dog kind of mischievously going, like, all right, I'm gonna stop here. Like he stops at the door, looks in, and goes, like, all right, now I'm gonna go in, and goes in towards this guy, the silhouette. We don't know which character he's walking towards. Um, And then obviously the scene when. They let the dog in with the other dogs and we get the big reveal that this is not a dog. Um, yeah. And when he walks in, he just like slowly walks in and threateningly sits in the very middle of the kennel.
1: Yeah, with staring his, straight at the yeah. wall the entire time.
0: <laughs> just a dead stare.
1: <laughs> What's happening? Who's chilling. dog is this? Yeah, yeah. And uh, then that scene you were talking about in the, in the hallway when it goes from room and then we see the shadow. I like how it's just so crazy because the camera is like on the opposite side of the hallway looking at an angle. And then the dog goes to the other side of the hallway, but doesn't like look at the camera or anything like, you know, an actor would. Uh, <laughs> and then they, we go and then we see an angle, but like, it's, it's so weird. And my other favorite dog shot is when I think they first get back. Um, from the norwegian base and they just see it it just keeps cutting back from them getting off yeah. the helicopter to the dog staring at the window like four times they cut back to the dog and it's fucking terrifying it's
0: just like yeah and for a movie that we'll talk about the score in a little bit but for a movie with such a good score uh when the dog is first let into the kennel there's like it's just there's no score and you just get this like the sound of the blizzard outside and it, it's if you feel the tension ramping up just from the natural sounds around, mm. which is really great. Um, I, I mean, we must say, obviously I'm going to, you know, singing John Carpenter's praises all the time. Uh, th- this is a great collaboration among a few incredible minds. Uh, obviously the effects are by Rob Bottin who um if this doesn't this probably this this makes me feel like a horrible sack of garbage I want to know how it makes you feel was 23 when he made this movie
1: uh, I saw that today and I was like <laughs> well I'm just gonna just leave and just go into <laughs> traffic I guess because my life means nothing
0: yeah hey Rob maybe you were doing amazing practical effects on a movie but did you have a moderately successful movie podcast huh Ooh, <laughs> I don't think so yeah yeah <laughs>
1: yeah dude uh, we don't have ulcers from working hard on a masterpiece so take that <laughs>
0: bitch and just i mean obviously gosh like every I, th- this is one of the things and you know I, I i picked i pulled up some negative letterbox reviews for us to read at the end oh, yeah. but one of the things people were pulling out was just like saying the effects were dated and i was like what the hell are you talking about like every <laughs> every single effect looks amazing wow like, wow yeah
1: it <laughs> I could see if you could argue at like because I, I still love it, but like I think maybe a couple things look better than other things now. Sure. But like all of them still look great. I mean, so yeah, that that's crazy. Especially if not like oh man, this one didn't look good, but like all of them are just. They didn't hold up. What
0: the fuck? Right. And, and <laughs> obviously, crazy. like, in the crazy sort of hard-to-believe stuff, you just, at the very least, you kind of admire the design, you know? Oh, yeah. It's like a bit of this, it's kind of Lovecraftian. It's just this indescribable uh a smorgasbord of, of disgusting imagery whenever the thing kind of reveals itself and the person or the dog or whoever it is at the time just, like, busts apart and sprouts spider legs or... Mm-hmm something like that it's always amazing but i I think what really sells a great effect is when you try to do something like recreate a person's face like Mm. so the thing i the scene i think about is like the the famous defibrillator scene in the third act of this movie um which i don't even know the point of describing it just look it up watch the movie obviously if you haven't yet (laughs) but i the when uh, the character Norris his head is you know he's revealed to be the thing and his head is stretching and it falls on the ground and it's obviously an effect it's an animatronic but it looks so much like a human face like it really I was thinking about how in like the first Terminator movie when Arnold pulls his eye out and then like it's clearly Arnold but then right after he pulls the eye out it cuts back and it's like the most obvious like cast like it's it's not a real arnold head yeah but i i feel like it's seamless in this movie going from the real norris to the, the animatronic norris but i think i saw that the doc whose arms are taken off yes
1: that was actually a double amputee that they got for one
0: shot yeah, yeah for that
1: one shot and i was like <laughs> oh my god it's blowing my mind like that's, that's amazing
0: that's so smart, yeah, yeah. Because he gets his arms chopped off, so they have one shot where they have a w amputee, and they put a mask of his of the actor's face yeah. over over the amputee for one shot. Ah! Incredible,
1: and, I, and I, it's funny because the scene uh, that same scene, but when um like Norris's head, God, I think that's the maybe oh, it's hard the most disturbing, just because it do, it really feels like his head is really separating from his body what when it's stretching and then like just ripping and the green is like coming off before it's like yeah. hanging down uh, yeah. completely but like when it's just like <laughs> it is it's it freaks me out still that
0: that actually does still make me a little scared <laughs> just like oh this is so it's fucking weird. really uncomfortable to watch and yeah. even just like when the head's on the ground upside down and it sprouts the spider legs <laughs> and it oh crawls god. that really creased me out to watch like yeah and it's in the door oh god when it goes into the doorway and uh palmer's like you gotta be fucking kidding <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they, they torture all it Th- that's uh, that's another thing is like you know I- obviously i said i think carpenter has a bleak sense of humor um and this movie you know i should point out it's not technically written by john carpenter it's got a it's a screenplay by bill, bill lancaster yeah Lang- um who i believe is the son of burt lancaster apparently uh but the the i there, there are plenty of like little moments that i i feel are like played for laughs even if it's not a joke there are moments that I laugh at and I don't think it's wrong to laugh at. Um, I mean, just for the record, if you ever, did you, have you listened to the audio commentary on this movie? Uh, I have not. It's one of the greatest audio commentaries of all time. It's John Carpenter and Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell is laughing his ass off many times. One particular moment when Wilfred Brimley's character Blair is like trashing the communications room and you know, he's just going like it wants to be us, and then he starts like shooting at him, and he's like, I kill you. And <laughs> uh, Kurt Russell's just cackling, and I laugh every time I watch the scene, and it's I can still like acknowledge the the stakes of the scene, but also laugh at kind of the absurdity of it, and then yeah, yeah plenty of little like dry humor moments, like when uh uh McCready, Kurt Russell's character, is uh locking blair up in this uh um in this shack and you know blair's like i just don't know who to trust and he's like i can understand blair trust the hard thing to come by these days why don't you just trust in the lord <laughs> and leaves like you know like little dry comments like that are funny i think yeah i uh i i laugh sometimes
1: at the when they're like okay so we're gonna split up uh um you're going go with windows like i'm not going with windows like oh yeah. fuck you man fuck yeah. you man <laughs> i don't trust
0: you either <laughs> yeah yeah no that's funny uh the whole okay so the the blood test scene which is an incredible scene possibly one of the greatest scenes in the history of cinema just uh where you know russell's character is like he's kind of devised this uh theory that if you are the thing then every single cell has its own consciousness and it'll all try to evade danger. So we're going to draw blood from everybody. We're going to heat up this copper wire and stick it into the uh, blood and then see if the blood reacts. And if the blood reacts, tries to scatter, then we know that person's the thing. And that's a, I mean, it's such an intense scene, but then like the funniest part, I I laugh every single time. When they eventually find out that um palmer is the thing and his blood pops out and then he starts like you know just convulsing and his fate you know he's shaking and his head's coming apart the guys who are tied onto the bench next to him are screaming like get me out get me out and like it's kind of funny but also terrifying and then right after that we get this just it's it's absolute chaos he bites windows on the head and then McCready torches him breaks through the wall goes outside and then once that was all done we just cut and then he's back in the blood test like testing the next guy (laughs) 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 oh
1: man that it's it's so yeah i was gonna say that part made me laugh too i also love that like the end of that scene um when they're um Uh, testing um oh god who's the last person they test uh gary Gary. and this is the thing that kills me every time (laughs) it's like i know you gentlemen have when a test ends up being negative for gary and then he's just like okay i know you gentlemen been through a lot but when you find the time i'd rather not spend the rest of my winter tied to this fucking couch (laughs) (laughs) no it's great
0: (laughs) Yeah, oh. incredible. Yeah, and that's another thing. Like every actor in this movie is so kind of well defined with, with with just a very little amount of time. It's not like we had to set them up for a half hour before the plot starts. Like, yeah, you know, Palmer smokes weed, kind of uh, the chill dude. Yeah, Keith David's character, Childs, the sort of on edge, a little hot headed. You know, kind of gets angry fast blair the guy who kind of goes who kind of loses his marbles first but also the smartest one in a way and then you know kurt russell's character McCready, sort of this no nonsense uh, i kind of cool guy awesome sombrero uh (laughs) but also like you know very good at his job but also kind of as we established in that very first scene with the chess wizard kind of unwilling to accept defeat as we kind of find out about him throughout the movie and yeah i think they all have and then gary you know is sort of he's the leader but he's not really up to it he doesn't really quite know how to be a good leader and great scene also i always love when he like they kind of they don't trust him because he had the only key that could get to the blood i love that scene too yeah it's like wait a second
1: like yeah well anybody could have took that key it's like i ah, no, not know no and then child's yeah. like no man that key's always on that ring that would take impossible and then it's like you gotta tell me who the key is <laughs> and windows is like yeah Yo, you, you of course you would protect them or like uh they're blaming maybe the doc yeah they're just like oh cooper yeah uh, okay well he couldn't have done it if he came up with the test
0: so it's like oh yeah yeah so that just means he he can't be the one man like shut the hell up man
1: yeah like, ah.
0: yeah and then i always love that when he when gary kind of resigns and just goes like maybe i shouldn't be in charge and he you know maybe you'd be more comfortable if i wasn't in charge so he puts the he takes out his gun and he sets it down and he goes norris i can't i can't see anybody objecting to you and it's such a blatant like comical shot of norris who's this kind of frumpy guy in a sweater and he just kind of looks around he's like oh i don't think i'm up to it fellas like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
1: so fucking funny yeah yeah and then the child goes to grab the gun and then uh clark is just like has the little uh little scap or knife he has a knife at this point yeah it's just like oh no 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 it's like
0: well yeah. and then mccree's like well i guess
1: i'll take the gun
0: <laughs> yeah well because then he says like it should be somebody with a slightly better temperament child's yeah. <laughs> like obviously kurt russell's the big star of this movie i think probably at the time the most famous actor still the most famous actor in the movie do you what What are your thoughts on kurt russell as an actor
1: uh i think he's great i think he um as i don't know how anything on the internet starts but whoever started this uh when they have uh kurt russell always understood the mission um is <laughs> i think that's what it is uh, the assignment like, i think the assignment there it is yeah like every movie he's in i feel like he knows what to bring, um, whether it's yeah. uh, tongue in cheek or just serious. I think he's just, he's one of my favorite actors. He's just always fun for me. Like, I know if I'm going to get a Kurt Russell performance, it's usually going to be fun. Um, maybe if it's like, you know, younger 80s, 90s, uh, Russell is going to be like machismo, but it's a <laughs> little, it, it feels a little more normal because he's not like destroyed or he's not like insanely ripped like yeah. the other action heroes of the time but well, he's a good looking guy and a great set of hair i mean oh yeah
0: hair. gorgeous mane oh, and- i
1: love the beard in this too like
0: i think he spent like a year growing that out yeah i'm like thank god <laughs> this is probably yeah this is the coolest he's ever looked in a movie i think because also like he's he's a fairly low-key character he's not yeah he's not showing off how cool he is he's just cool you know yeah uh and uh, i gotta say yeah like i'm a straight man but gosh kurt russell with the hair and the beard and also just the piercing blue eyes i don't know how a woman could see (laughs) this man and not just like melt in the butter. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like, look at this guy. He's yeah, of a man.
1: Yeah, hold him yeah. tight,
0: Goldie. It's
1: never too late. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna take him. From-
0: yeah, don't uh, let him take him, Goldie. Uh, you guys are made for each other. <laughs> and I also um,
1: the one of my favorite moments with him, and it kind of there's a one la- uh, thing I wanted to say with the blood test scene. Um, I like when he gets separated from Nalls and then mm. eventually comes back. Nalls cut him loose. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we're, we're going see. I love when Child is chopping down the door with the ass. Like, when I kill you, or I want to get you, McCready. It's like, I mean, if he's the thing, he's not actually McCready, but it's, it kind of yeah. felt like he was trying to, he
0: wants to get him anyway. Like, oh, at least I get to
1: kill you. Um, yeah. It feels like they just
0: kind of didn't like McCready anyway.
1: Yeah. It's like, what's, what's up? I mean, he's not like wrong almost ever <laughs> in this movie, but I, I love when we, he's
0: windows goes like he's like childs what if we're wrong about him and childs is like then we're wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a part of me was like i mean
1: look this is the point where like maybe we should just keep everyone out there outside just <laughs> close it up and just watch each other but when he's just covered in snow so cold uh and then he has the dynamite just like back the fuck like back up yeah <laughs> i'll take you all with me he's just like oh easy man put it down put it all down it's a mexican <laughs> standoff another another yeah. western thing yeah, i'm not taking my eyes off you and i i love how uh when he's because uh, this goes into the scene yeah because this goes into the scene um with Norsk. and i ha- oh I got a question with that too uh okay one at a time so when he's in that room I like how he's like because he's still cold, obviously. Um, he the snow's off, but like he's still like cold, <laughs> like holding the uh dynamite to the <laughs> um flamethrower, which yeah. also real flamethrowers they had in the movie. So that's and yeah. real dynamite. Uh I don't know that particular one for that scene, but like when he throws the dynamite on uh burnt palmer. Um, that was real, and he actually got blown back a little bit. You can tell in the scene. I didn't know this, but he you, like he kind of goes like I'm ne- I'm near the edge of the hole, and then he gets like uh-huh. hit to the edge, and like oh shit, <laughs> that was real. That, that was, would
0: never that- happen today. No way.
1: No way. <laughs> it's just it- like
0: they would have the cg it would be a cgi dynamite in his hand he would just be holding a green box and they. yeah that's <laughs> i'm thinking like wait he could have ended up like the like the character of the norwegian
1: who did the same thing except it went backwards like oh yeah. shit and i kill all the cast members <laughs> he has to bury them in the snow but yeah but i just like i think it's funny how he's just holding that there but all, on the blood test i think it's fun too that you know, because they don't believe him. Like, Child doesn't believe that this is, like, he's like, this is a crock of shit. Yeah. Um, but I like how the, this is amazing advice for tension, too. There's no music. And I like how the first four tests are negative. Even Clark, who you thought, oh, he's for sure. Yeah. For sure Clark is Just, He's so weird. He's
0: such a weird guy. You're I like, so- oh, he's the thing.
1: <laughs> I don't know why. He acts so weird the entire movie. Like, when yeah. Blair's talking to him and he's like, how long have you spent time with that dog like i don't know maybe an hour, an <laughs> hour, an hour.
0: why are you looking at me like that yeah but, like, he, <laughs> he also though i mean he is and that's another characterization thing he has established that like he's kind of best friends with the dogs you know he has yeah. the connection with the dogs he's the dog guy and then like when blair kills the dogs it just like cuts to the shot of you see the dog with the axe in it and uh the and, and that's in the foreground and clark is in the background staring at him and, and he looks so sad like you do it's kind of an emotional beat of like got like this guy his best he's not close to any of the guys in the compound like the dogs were his best friends you know yeah and then no one
1: trusts him later because right. like when uh um McCready locks up blair he's like hey watch clark and yeah. then he even mentions to the guys watch clark and then later when i think the blood gets destroyed um uh, Child, just like because they're all there, and Charles like, "Where's Clark?" Is like, "I'm right here." Yeah, yeah, because like he even knows that they don't trust him, and when Clark is holding the the scalpel, well, the shot when he, you see the scalpel, and then you see a hand take it, and then you see on the left side of the screen, like he just has a scalpel in his hand, and it's yes. like him, and then Nal's and then mccready but like the the in the foreground and then it's like oh shit something's about to go down but then at the same time when you think oh, okay so there's gonna be some kind of standoff between mccready and him or he's gonna try to kill mccready boom that's when doc loses his arms and, or his yeah. uh, arms is like oh shit and so that's all happening and then later when he's like tie everybody up He's getting really weird. He's getting really close,
0: and it's really uncomfortable. Like, that's close enough, Clark. And and he's saying, like, yeah, guys, let's do what McCready says. Like, he's kind of being, like... (laughs) You're like, oh, that guy's about to try to kill McCready. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And then it's so funny because he turns... uh, Yeah, because Charles is like, I'm not doing shit. And then he puts the gun in his face, like, I'll kill you. It's like, do it. And then he takes the safety off. He's like, okay, I guess you are serious. And then boom, here comes Clark, boom, shot in the head really fast, yeah. and it's like,
0: shit! Perfect shit. and perfect shot, too, the way that you, yeah, you see him holding the scalpel kind of in the foreground, like, up against the screen, and McCready's in the background. Um, and I have to say, like, uh, uh, this movie, this, this movie, shot by Dean Cundy, who yeah. shot most of Carpenter's movies for a while. He also, he did Escape from New York, uh, he did Halloween, and I think, you know this is like a perfect marriage of director and cinematographer he's like he's the master of the deep focus as far as i'm concerned like there's so many shots in this movie particular where he's he's utilizing an entire space like you're seeing a whole room and all of these guys you know deep focus especially works in an ensemble setting where you have multiple characters on screen and you kind of have to see them all and see what they're doing at the same time and that's done so well uh, also like when you watch it on blu-ray especially the colors really pop the lighting in this movie i think is incredible a lot of the indoor scenes utilize uh, like diegetic lighting like particularly when they're in the hangout room with the pool table uh but also like when they're outside and they have the flares it's like it's purple you know yeah, yeah. that's yeah that's really cool and then a, a, a lot of like lens flares it's an anamorphic widescreen so it's very wide and the lens flares are kind of like this purple kind of line that goes across the whole screen that i think you know it adds a lot of production value like it looks very it looks cool and intentional you know
1: yeah and then honestly since it's shot, shot in the snow like movie shot in the snow to me oh. always like a just a plus this looks yeah. beautiful and i i I found I saw that one thing in research that I thought was of course because you know Carpenter he can stretch a fucking dollar because uh, <laughs> he had because he had to before at least um, that the the Norwegian um, site was actually just this site. They just since they were gonna destroy this site anyway, he's yeah. like, Well, why build a second like uh set I we can just literally just film that when it's destroyed and that's the quote norwegian um yeah. uh place and i was like that makes so much sense yeah why
0: of course duh <laughs> that's that's why he's this guy is so so smart and and i mean what you said like yes he's great at stretching a dollar and and the really funny thing is you watch any f- interview with john carpenter he he's quite bitter he's quite like know everyone's like yeah i always thought like you did a lot with a little bit of money and there's always this feeling of like yeah but i wish they gave me more money like (laughs) you Uh know and then i think especially he really got uh down in the dumps from the thing because i mean i think in retrospect most people consider this his masterpiece Mm -hmm. and i think he can it was a real passion project for him and it was uh i think at the time the most money he ever had for a movie and just the fact that it was kind of a commercial and critical flop at the time and didn't gain a cult following until later it really kind of brought him down and you know it's like now I've seen interviews where people have been like oh yeah I love the thing I've seen it a thousand times and he's there he's just like yeah I I wish he had seen it a thousand times when it came out (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, do you think because I remember when this this kind of
1: happened again and I, I wonder if it's gonna happen to the same filmmaker twice when Blade Runner 2049 came out and I was super excited for that I was like I can't oh this looks amazing actually no I didn't see the trailer because I hadn't seen the original at that point so I I never saw the trailer even before the movie so I was just like oh this probably is gonna look great and be great because it's Denis Villeneuve um and just like the original sadly sadly even with Ryan Gosling and fucking once again Harrison Ford Blade Runner 2049 commercial flop didn't make really any money but like everyone loved it who saw it yeah and just like the original blade runner and the same director is doing dune uh later this year and i'm like i don't think you learn i hope this somehow is different but i feel like you didn't learn your lesson because this is even a bigger budget i think dune which
0: they recently announced will not be on hbo max just going to theaters
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wait, um, they there was an update. There was, oh, really? I, there, I saw a couple articles and then I saw more articles <laughs> that were like, updated, we were wrong. Uh, yeah, because it was like a deadline article. I just shared it. Uh, I saw that. And then on Twitter, it was someone head of Warner Brothers Entertainment or something. She, I forgot her name, but then she said that it is going to be released day, date, hbo max and um in theaters i don't know if it was like a mistake or they changed it real fast but yeah because there's there's multiple articles even like collider i saw like from two days ago reporting. i was like oh no But i guess it is still at least now unless they change it again (laughs) going to be in theaters too but i don't know i don't know how it's gonna do i'm interested but yeah but i was but but i brought this up because i wonder if today where movies are where it's it's different than it was even 10 years ago do you think a movie like the thing if it came out now could get a cult status or do movies that are really good that people don't see whether it's because they didn't know what it came out or they just i don't know movies just don't get seen sometimes like do you think that it could still have that same resonance maybe if it was like the thing or something like the thing i guess
0: yeah i I mean i think it could movies do come out still that kind of become cult movies automatically almost and it's usually because they they usually appeal to a subculture kind of people who like certain kinds of movies oftentimes they are even like john carpenter throwback movies like something like the void you know something like that i but oftentimes i mean these aren't movies that really get wide releases in theaters anymore anyway Mm. you know think about like mandy the uh, panos cosmatos film i don't think that that wasn't playing in any theaters near me you know and same uh, yeah and so that is a movie just organically designed to be a cult film, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which they say you don't set out to make a cult movie, but oftentimes like you, you kind of know, you know, when somebody thinks they're making a cult movie, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely don't think I don't see a movie like the thing being a mainstream hit nowadays. I, I just don't think it quite taps into what we like. We nowadays, we just like the big hits are epic, Films either a big sprawl, like even something like Dune, it has to be a big epic, uh, of a a grand scale. And then, even like our superhero movies, are all you know, two and a half hours and full of 72 movie stars. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, these are an event now, yeah, 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 they're an event for sure. And so,
1: there's like if if, there's like a few exceptions, but even then, sometimes it's like the filmmaker, like you know obviously an exception to the rule but like it's still Quentin tarantino yeah like that's still like a Quentin tarantino movie so it's not like oh Before yeah the
0: irishman i would have said scorsese as well
1: yeah <laughs> but, yeah. yeah
0: and I, somehow he's still <laughs>
1: He's negotiating huge budgets. Yeah. I think his latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon, is going to be two hundred plus. And I'm like, how the fuck is this happening? <laughs> what is happening?
0: Yeah, I do want to talk about Tarantino real quick in relation to this movie because obviously he's a big fan of Carpenter. Um, you know he he's put Kurt Russell in quite a few of his movies as well. Um, and Tarantino a, a couple times used score from The Thing, which. The thing, interestingly enough, one of the few John Carpenter movies where he didn't do his own score, the score in this movie is by Ennio Morricone. Um, You know, kind of going back again to Carpenter's Western roots. uh, I I think in in some ways, I think the way that he uses the anamorphic widescreen lens kind of is a throwback to Sergio Leone a little bit, but then also straight up using the great spaghetti Western composer uh, Morricone for the movie, uh, who oddly enough, I think everyone points this out, it sounds like a John Carpenter score still it's kind of very simple uh series of tones and for a long time that was confusing I think to people they're like wait you got all the you 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 got the money together to get a huge composer like Morricone for your movie and it just sounds like another Carpenter score which is still very good but you know not It doesn't quite have, I guess, the theatrics of a Morricone score because his scores tend to envelop a scene and they just become the scene. And then many years later, uh, you know, decades later, Quentin Tarantino makes The Hateful Eight, uh, also starring Kurt Russell, funnily enough. And Also, Also, yeah, about a few characters in the snow who don't trust each other. Uh, except this is a Western and not a science fiction horror movie. And Ennio Morricone does the original score for the hateful eight. And in certain scenes in that movie uses score that was that he wrote for the thing that was never used in the thing. So there's a couple key moments in the hateful eight, like, uh, the first big poison scene i guess the only big poison scene a couple moments like that that score that's very distinctive and very really takes control of the scene and that was written for the thing and i really think and carpenter has said like he said that his movies are his scores are like wallpaper like he likes them to complement the action of the scene but he doesn't want it to be the scene and so i think that's why in a lot of those cases he has this he had the at his disposal, some incredible music written by Morricone, but it just wasn't, it didn't fit his style, you know? And mm-hmm. so luckily it got used eventually, but I just found that, yeah, very interesting. Kind of the weird incestuous relationship between uh, John Carpenter and the Western genre and Quentin Tarantino and how it all kind of came back around. Yeah.
1: No, yeah, I, I didn't know that. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, because I remember when, the because I think to this day I've only seen four movies that were scored by Marconi And the first one, well, like technically was the thing. Um, I didn't know that back then. I assumed it was Carpenter too. Yeah. Uh, the, the first one I knew um was uh, the hateful eight. And I remember hearing about him before and I was like, Oh wow, this is amazing. Like he, I don't know if he was, re- he was retired, I think, or he hadn't done anything in a while. And then he did it for uh, the hateful eight, I believe. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think like, he hadn't done anything or he's retired. And then, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino was like, hey, you know what? I actually want a score for my movie this time. Not just uh, amazing uh, songs that I have uh, gigantic knowledge. Of. As I think
0: you mentioned in your Reservoir Dogs episode of your podcast, uh, Tarantino did ne- never had an original score for his movies. Um, yeah. Until the Hateful Eight. Yeah. and Which is so wild. And oddly enough, that, and that was, I mean, gosh, Morricone came out of retirement and then won his first Oscar for that movie. He won (laughs) before that. He had won an honorary Oscar, like a lifetime achievement Oscar, which they usually give to somebody when they go, Oh, he's never going to win an Oscar at this point. So we might as well, we give him the lifetime. What, but he got a real one uh, which was kind of incredible. And I remember he got a huge standing ovation and I mean, that was kind of a huge kind of throwback, Time because he was up against John Williams also I think for Star Wars that year and so yeah. yeah just a beautiful moment if anybody has a chance look up the YouTube clip everyone stands up and applauds Ennio Morricone and it's it's a it's beautiful and um you know yeah genuinely I mean he passed away last year um, mm-hmm. and one of the greatest probably my favorite composer of any movies you know I'm a big spaghetti western nut so yeah. I like a lot of his scores but yeah definitely one of the greatest composers of all time. Um, I, when I saw the good, the bad, and the
1: ugly last year, um, I was like, oh, fuck, especially near the end <laughs> of the score. I was like, especially like, wow, like how, like you were right when you were describing how his, like his score usually, like in that movie, like enveloped the scene. I mean, the, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but like the three way uh, Mexican standoff near the end is. Oh, yeah. I mean, the score, as much as anything else, is the thing that is the most uh, prominent in that scene. It's beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. gorgeous. I think that, and then watching last year, like, Lawrence of Arabia, where that score is, like, one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. I was like, this, wow. Just when you thought you heard some of the best, uh, here comes other people. Um <laughs> I, I had a question that I, 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 God, I've I been wondering this for like the last three viewings of the movie. So Norris is the creature. Mm-hmm. And yes. And he...
0: Which we find out in the chest defibrillator scene.
1: Right? Yeah. And that being revealed made me wonder, okay, so there's this scene when... This is when um, uh, Mac- MacReady and gnolls like uh are they're like oh where they been and then like um going to the window is norris and then he's like guys guys i see them it's like oh ah ah my stomach or something and it hurts and then uh you know they go through all those things and even he has a line where it's like oh well we gotta take mccready down when they hear that he broke through the um the glass into a different room and then when he Tries to tackle uh, when um, Norris and Knowles try to tackle McCready from behind. Uh, McCready like throws him off, and then Norris like goes into a bookshelf and he goes down. And he's like, ah, and he kind of looks like, oh, he's not breathing. And then obviously, you find out that he is the thing when the defibrillator starts to uh, go through his chest with the arms of the doc. And I wonder, why do you think? that he had that feeling of a stomach ache and why he went down i had a
0: theory i've always thought that too because that looks like it there's even parts when people aren't seeing him and he's kind of like ah like he just genuinely like feels pain yeah there's no one's around like that's before they get to the window that part when he's like ah so i'm like right which makes you think like maybe maybe it's just the thing kind of like not settling correctly, like it, it could just be an imperfection in the organism itself. And that's what makes him like shut down. Um, at the same time, it's like, I don't know, I watched the movie and, it, and there's really, the movie does not have an overt logic as to who's the thing at what point, you know? Yeah. Like to that, we were talking about the blood scene earlier and yeah, Gary's the only person who has the key and the only person he would give the key to is copper. And we later find out neither of them are the thing, so we really don't know who got to the blood. You know, it's like love unanswered um, questions, right? And and, and it could have just been. And really, I mean, you can just fill in the blanks and be like, oh, either somebody stole the key from them, or if you're the thing, you can just come apart and maybe you can the maybe it, you know, one finger, yeah, got up through the crevices or whatever. Like it leaves a lot to your imagination, which I think is cool. Um, And I don't think there are correct answers. That's one thing everybody you know spent a million years talking about who's the thing at one point in the movie uh one thing is carpenter never told an actor whether or not they were the thing unless it was the scene where you find out they're the thing um the final scene everybody argues you know it's the scene between McCready and childs and they're like which one of them is the thing it doesn't matter (laughs) the point is that they don't know uh the so the thing with Norris, I guess my theory, I've always just assumed he did it maybe intentionally to distract from the situation, but I also, I'm not quite sure why that would be necessary. <laughs> so I, I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. What's your theory? It's kind of similar
1: because I thought, well, with, because we, it takes over people in solitary because it needs time. It doesn't want to be interrupted. And yet there are times where it's like, well, I'm revealed. So I guess, you know, I'm, I'm turning into this. I'm, I'm <laughs> hey revealing <guys>. myself. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, but I think especially, it's, it's specifically the part, even less maybe when he gets knocked over. But I think maybe it goes into maybe because a human, because we're all just bodies, though. But maybe because we have the ability to talk, I don't know. We're more complex than a dog. Yeah. So maybe even though he's, you know, he's completely like a person, uh, it's completely a person uh, when we see it. So maybe there's some type of I am form, I am that person, but there's still maybe I need a little bit more time to full, like to get. Uh, to be a hundred percent, maybe it's like outside looks like a hundred percent that character. I need like, I need like a like an hour or twenty more minutes to fully have the strength. I don't know because yeah. you know the chest pains and then gets knocked over and it's like, uh, what the fuck just happened? Like you just get up, right? You're you're an alien. You're fully formed, and then maybe when it, it wants to be found out, but once again if that's the case, then you could have just had the scene where he gets knocked over and falls down and looks like he's not breathing versus both have that. And when he's alone and has the chest pain, but maybe I, I have to watch if I watched it again, maybe, <laughs> maybe someone does see him have a chest pain at the end. Like yeah. he has, he starts it when he's alone and maybe at the end, someone sees it and maybe maybe
0: the thing is just rehearsing just for when people do see it (laughs) right right (laughs) that's one thing is like that'll actually bring me to the first letterbox review i want to read because this uh, out of all the letterbox reviews to really infuriate me this one this one's high up there uh this is a half star review for the thing half a star out of five this was my first watch and I was expecting something great. Instead I got moment after moment of absolute idiot plot points, like the guy who can't shoot a dog from five feet away. Not to mention the hilarious moment when he takes out an explosive and defying the laws of physics and logic, the explosive falls out of his hand backwards. Then if that wasn't enough, the other guy in the helicopter dives near it and tries to throw snow on it. I mean, what the fuck good was that going to do? I think he misunderstood the the guy was trying to actually pick up the bomb. Anyway, when the scene in the, in the dog cage when the alien is there attacking the dogs they just stop shooting it and then they do set it on fire and they put it out very quickly and then the doctor finds out the thing isn't dead but its cells are still active don't you think it would have been you know kind of helpful to tell everyone and say oh by the way it's still alive let's take it outside and burn the shit out of it no he just locks himself in the bathroom according to one of the other characters then after those two guys take out the remains to a room one says he's going out and the other says i'm, go- I'm just getting some stuff here that was so laughable and then of course alien monster attacks him to replicate him and the other guy comes back while it's happening and the guy on the radio who can't get through to anyone well what would be the point as to apparently the norwegians couldn't speak any english blah 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 it was obvious there was no point in watching much more as an unintentionally funny In each scene would be a series of idiot moments this guy i should point out not the greatest orator or writer (laughs) of all time um Uh. i'm gonna stop there but basically this is the this is like the kind of cancer that like uh cinema sins has become on people's film critiques like <laughs> yeah this you know?
1: this review is ridiculous i mean there was so there's so much but yeah I, everything he said basically it's like dude what are you talking about like right. <laughs> Did you watch this movie? Uh, you watched this movie clearly, but like did you really consume this film? Cuz that that right. doesn't make any sense. Like yeah, like you said like oh he's like digging through snow and oh he he threw it backwards. Like who does that? Right, like you-
0: it's like this movie's bad because a guy, a character messed up like yeah. people do <laughs>
1: you can look up like tons of videos on youtube of people like one of my friends shared something the other day like someone in the military train or something they had a grenade and they're supposed to throw it forward like normal but it slipped out their hand backwards so they had to like <laughs> dive like this happens like so like and <laughs> it's like they couldn't shoot the dog it's like i mean i don't know man it's a dog it's running around it's a
0: helicopter it's moving maybe the guy's like, not a good shot maybe it's not a trained shooter
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. like these aren't killers; they're all scientists, or they're just uh pilots, or something. Like,
0: yeah, I'm telling you, it's the cinema sense, like, effects on, on modern film criticism says a movie, the quality of a film is not defined by the craftsmanship of the the people behind the camera, the people in front of the camera, whatever. It's not defined by the emotional reaction you get from it. It's defined by whether or not you can poke holes in the logic of characters and uh and even in this case this is really nerf stuff that this guy's talking about there's nothing like it's always bothered me when people say like oh the dark knight rises is bad because how did bruce wayne get into gotham and i'm always like i don't care how he got into gotham it's not the point but fine in this case there's nothing of that level. <laughs> There's no there are no gaping holes to that extent. Uh yeah. does not not worthy of a half a star. This guy is insane. Uh half a star. Moving on, half a star. This movie is extremely boring. There is no star of this movie. All characters are equally forgettable. I disagree. Yeah. Uh, neither horrifying nor thrilling. I do not understand the hype surrounding this movie. It's gray and bleak, aesthetically very unappealing. Too much yelling too many men <laughs> too many men
1: sure it didn't pass the bechdel test but you know what i, I don't really think it's a negative of the movie there's just much of men. i don't think this part i don't think like this movie sure this could be all men i don't really think that really matters but yeah. this isn't aesthetically pleasing oh my god
0: i mean okay yeah to say it's not aesthetically pleasing factually incorrect um Yeah, if you got a problem with a movie that only has men in it, maybe do your research before you watch it. (laughs) Um, That does bring me to this next one. This is really funny. Another half star letterbox review. This is funny because of the comment that's at the top as well. Half star. How does this have a 4.3 star rating? It's so fucking bad. I'm convinced only straight men love it. (laughs) And then the top comment says I'm gay and this is an absolute masterpiece.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice that's so funny yeah <laughs>
0: the, the the sexualization of like who these movies are for yeah like, <laughs> you know it's only
1: for straight men
0: Only oh, you right. and i man we're the only
1: guys like, you like
0: are, are people not capable of just like kind of seeing like objectively what's good and bad about a movie i, I don't know maybe that's yeah to be fair i'm a straight man so like <laughs> you know same, but still it's like come on it,
1: especially the last comment like the boring like the, like i said this movie moves and one it's short i think it's like what 142 48 49 i think yeah yeah and like obviously minutes of that are credits so it's like Mm. this movie is pretty short it's only a little above the actual movie an hour and a half like it's just a little bit more so it's like what do you want and this movie (laughs) moves from the beginning i don't know what i don't think boring is something that
0: you could put
1: on this film there's always something happening but
0: yeah that's
1: that's that's wild
0: i agree and the tension's always ramping up it's constantly opening itself up the way it develops and more information comes across and uh, people talk like people so it's not like oh they're like weird robotic 80s i don't know what they're doing like we said there's no who you got back at home or yeah gosh i can't believe we've been on this place for this long and we only got this much time left before we can go home you know yeah um this is, per, this is my favorite negative review. Half star. I would have handled it. That's it.
1: <laughs> I would have handled it. I got this. I, lo- I love that. It's, that sounds like my old manager in my job. He's like, he's one of those guys. Like, yeah, I, I if that were me, if that were yeah. me. Shit. There's no way. There's no way. I have all my guns. <laughs> I would destroy that thing. I would kill everybody and then I would be alive. And I would guy out there somehow. I would guy off the continent somehow. Yeah. I yeah, yeah no, I
0: respect that answer wholeheartedly. <laughs> that, that review. That's the only review, that's the only half-star review for the thing. I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, uh did you have anything in your notes or anything you wanted to mention before we're done?
1: Let's I, I like that we see eventually that like confirm like it is an alien, um, even though we kind of Knew that but like the characters that see like oh wow this alien ship landed there a hundred thousand um years ago yeah um i thought that was cool and and that uh, sequence
0: with i think the only matte painting in the movie when you when yeah. They, yeah yeah there's a lot like, of every little trick is used there's matte paintings there's stop motion there's animatronics there's a little everything something for all the kids <laughs> yeah and and i i do like how
1: fuchs is trying to tell him a about the notes that he found from Blair and McCready being like, he, like he's acting annoying. He's acting annoyed saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to sleep. It's cold out here. And if, like, if I myself just discovered, like McCready, that the the shape shifting alien thing exists, <laughs> and someone's trying to read me notes from the guy who's doing the autopsy, I'm gonna fucking listen. Yeah. Now, how cold or tired I <laughs> am, and then when he says, "Look, listen, listen, listen," and he's like, "Okay, oh uh, sure, sure, I guess." Okay, I guess I'll listen to you now. But yeah, I'm like, "Hello," he's trying to tell you something so you survive. That's yeah, it's insane
0: yeah no yeah no you're you're yeah (laughs) it's funny he's he's too cool he's too cool to care that much Uh, yeah it's just like look
1: uh, the whiskey's gone the the well actually maybe the whiskey's not gone because at the end they uh
0: they do drink that there's plenty of jamby whiskey throughout this film if you you know i think that was howard hawk's when he criticized the movie, he was like, they turned into a fucking commercial for J and B whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which to be fair, I just watched the movie. I'm like, you know what? I might pick myself up some. I'll see. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that, that's one thing maybe one day i'll record an audio commentary with this movie and do it over some JB whiskey that'll, that'll be the thing i listen to that for yeah. sure you want to join we'll do it We'll, we'll yeah, I'm yeah. Fucking, yeah i'll
1: drink some uh, uh, i i'm horrible with whiskey but i'll I'll do it i'll just <laughs> gotta get it like three things down and then i'll be, be like ah oh, whiskey this is just water <laughs> this is great yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I did want to point out for some reason something i didn't even realize until now is just like uh, another way that carpenter is a very like subtly clever filmmaker and just little kind of choices he makes that I don't think everybody would make. At the end of the blood test scene when, uh, when McCready tests Palmer's blood and the blood pops out which also an incredible effect, they had a fake hand that's Kurt Russell's hand. And the, the fake, uh, and the thing pops out of it. So in the foreground, you see Kurt Russell's hand. That's not a real hand, Okay. Uh, which is well done. It's really hard. You know, nobody can tell. Um, but then when it pops out and McCready drops his flamethrower and he walks backwards, it cuts to the flamethrower hitting the ground and dragging. Like, it's just a little moment that's just kind of like, it kind of adds to the chaos of the scene, you know, just to yeah. see the flamethrower hit the ground and drag. I, I thought little things like that. I'm like, not everybody would do that, you know? yeah it's yeah it shows like he, I, he really is uh just
1: a genius i got it's like john carpenter's on the, the, that short list of people who i just i wish still were like making shit yeah. feature length shit
0: at least uh there's a lot of people on that list i'm like damn it if you, uh. at, at the same time and honestly i feel two ways about this john carpenter possibly my favorite director of all probably my favorite director of all time. Uh, at the same time, it's like judging from the last few movies he did and what he chooses to do now, I'm totally okay with him not making another movie. Like I feel as though he, yeah. it's not so like, if he doesn't want to do it, I don't want to see him do it. You know, Oh yeah, the last thing sure. I want to see is a hesitant John Carpenter movie, like a <laughs> <Yeah>. tentative <laughs> film. <laughs> he has teased, uh, he was on the post-mortem podcast a few years ago when the, cause he did the score for the new Halloween movie. And he, uh, which was a great score, obviously. And he's, you know, he's still doing music and that's great. But he was saying like, yeah, I'm thinking of doing it again. I just got to look for the right project. And, you know, if he does it, I will be the first one in the theater to see it. Uh, as will you, I'm sure we'll both yeah. be there to see it. But uh, yeah, at the same time, it's like, if he doesn't want to, I'm not going to make him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like when Nicholson on the, I
1: guess the acting side, when I was like Nicholson retired, I was like, damn, damn. But I, I know, I know sometimes... Whether it's, but now I think it's so. It was like a line memorization was a little getting a little hard as you get older, which is yeah. why it's crazy to me how actors like Christopher Plummer could, when he was you know still alive because he recently right. passed away too, how it's he st- still remember lines when they're that old. Like that's yeah. that's crazy to me. Like hit ninety, I'm I'm now acting. I feel I'm just gonna. I'm not even remember anything. Like <laughs> so watching movies, like oh look at this, I'm seeing. Have you heard of this movie? Uh, The Thing. grandpa
0: you've watched this like last week oh no (laughs) it's happening
1: the dementia
0: (laughs) (laughs) i also i did want to point out you mentioned how a lot of carpenter's movies have commentary of sorts i don't know if this has been confirmed by anybody but in the bonus features on the blu-ray i have the shot factory blu-ray for this movie and in one of the interviews i forget what actor says it but somebody says he kind of implies that the movie is about the aids crisis because uh, it's about a bunch of men passing this disease from one to the other, and it's spreading. <laughs> Which, I don't know how intentional that is, but hey, wow. you know, it's the 80s. That's your takeaway. Yeah, That's cool.
1: <laughs> I mean, it works. It, yeah. Wow, yeah, it's works the more I think about it. Yeah, sure. So who says this is only for straight men? <laughs> yeah, take that. <laughs> uh. Is this... Where is this rank on
0: your like your favorite endings of all time you know it's high up there I do really like it and I, I can understand somebody watching it and kind of going like what that's it but I think it's I love the resignation of the two main characters I love the feeling of like we've done all that we can do and we kind of accept it and in that moment of like kurt russell and keith david who's also fantastic in the movie he's one of my favorite also speaking of, like they live one of my favorite character actors keith david but yeah when they kind of sit and they they express the fact that they don't really trust each other but they're like well there's nothing we can really do about it so we're just gonna sit here and then they share the j&b whiskey and uh and then we kind of we just go out on the don't don't you know the theme i i don't know if it's i mean it, it's not the first movie I think of when I think of the best endings of all time. Sure, sure. But in my opinion, I think it's a perfect ending. It's how I would end the movie because it's it's appropriately bleak, it's sort of a downbeat ending, but it's not sad. It's just kind of cathartic, I think. It's just kind of that's that's it, you know. Here we are, yeah. and the characters accept their fates, you know. We did all we could, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. though where were you, childs? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, because like where were you seriously and it's like oh man that's it's, it's crazy yeah i i, I love it i love yeah i love the ending too it is um also one of, yeah it's one of my favorites too not like the favorite um but yeah it's it's up there for me as well
0: yeah and and to end on uh why don't we just wait here a little while see what happens you know yeah. that's the <laughs> ending perfect okay yeah
1: Here you go <laughs> uh
0: well i guess i mean if you don't have anything else to say i guess we did it <laughs> yeah i think that was yeah. all i got yeah uh, thank you so much thanks for thanks for suggesting this i've wanted to talk about the thing but i've always thought like if i'm gonna do it it's got to be somebody who also likes it so i'm not just not a one-sided conversation <laughs> <laughs> no i feel you I,
1: I wanted to do it over ours uh it didn't it didn't hit on sci-fi or horror month <laughs> sadly so i was like fuck uh well I knew it's like on John, I was like, Johnny, you're my, you're my only hope.
0: <laughs> so uh, now that you've, you know, you've kind of stretched your, your experience with John Carpenter a little bit more. What, what, what do you, what do you think are like your top five carpenters? So I'd say this is
1: number one. Um, I thought, I thought it was Halloween, but I, I thought about it more. Um, and I was like, no, I, I think the thing, so I would say um, the things number one, Halloween is number two Um, oh man, it's been so long since I've seen Big Trouble, but I feel like maybe if I rewatched, I wouldn't love it as much. Uh, I think my number three is They Live. Uh, that, that was, it's just, it's so, um, And idiosyncratic like i've it's so wild i've never seen (laughs) like
0: it's so cool and pulpy and weird possibly Um, the funniest movie that carpenter did also
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that fight i could i couldn't believe how long (laughs) that was going on for i was like it's still going it hurts it looks like it hurts uh so yeah the, the thing halloween they live um i think my four honestly it might be assault in precinct 13. I, I really like that. Mm. I was That's I, a it's great movie. it's really low key, really low budget, but like I I don't know. I just I it's pretty cool. And I you know, I think I'll go five big trouble with okay. six probably being escape. But if I if I watch big trouble, it might switch to escape being big trouble. So yeah, thing Halloween,
0: they live, uh assault in precinct thirteen big trouble in little china i think oh, i might have to change my mind on this but i think my top five would probably be the thing they live in the mouth of madness escape from new york and halloween but that's mm. just me that's just me barely thinking about it right now yeah <laughs> I, I, this this requires more in-depth i need to do a podcast on every single movie he did then then i'll be able to decide so are are hard sometimes i'm yeah. like oh, god you, this, you never this... you can never definitively reach a list <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of We Are Movies. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Uh, It's good to be back from this long hiatus and after some time off of the show and kind of dealing with... uh, Uh, a hectic strange uh rough portion of my life um i couldn't think of a better way to come back than with um my favorite movie of all time and with one of my good friends and so uh thank you to him for coming on definitely go follow him on all of the social media stuff he's on instagram and twitter at endegua mcleod just his first and last name and um his podcast uh, is currently on sort of an indefinite hiatus, but if you would like, I highly recommend just listening to the back catalog of episodes. Uh, it's called You Can't Handle the Genre, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And I've also uh, been on that podcast a couple of times, and it, uh, ha- I just had a wonderful time. So um, in the grand scheme of the movie podcast ecosystem, Ours are uh, quite closely tied. And so, if you are a fan of this show and you haven't yet, feel free to like us on Facebook, We Are Movies. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at We Are Movies Pod. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Johnny Mockney, J O H N N Y M O C N Y. Also, if you haven't left a review yet, uh, I always appreciate that. Reviews are great. So, um,. That is all I have for you today. I will be back with you very soon. And until then, uh, sit back, relax, have some J&B whiskey, and uh, keep an eye on your dog.